Jaiguru, everyone. Jaiguru. Welcome to Minute 69 of Awake, Minute by Minute podcast. I will be your host today, Chris, and with me we have the amazing Priyank. Priyank, say hello. Hello. How are you? and the viewers. <laughs> good, good, to, good to be back. I missed last week's episode, so happy to be back. And we have the incredible Mike. Mike, say hello to everybody. Hello. How's it going, guys? Yeah, it's a royal wave. Yeah, royal of you. Yeah, royal yeah. wave of you there, Mike. Okay, so I, I, I missed the last last week's episode, minute sixty eight, but it looked looked pretty nice. I'm sad I missed that because it was pretty pretty impactful. Was it was it everything that you thought it would be and more, guys? Interesting minute. As they all are. As they all are exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Um, but really, in this minute, we have a continuation of the last minute, don't we? Um, and to jump into it, really, we, we saw in, in the last minute, there was more of a sense of urgency building up. The acceleration is Sri Mirlini Matha uh, uh, described it as that the SRF monks were uh, experiencing through Yogananda's uh, pursuit of, of the divine. Um, and the music was very uplifting, wasn't it? Very inspiring, I thought, in the last uh, minute or two. Um, which uh, was, I, I don't know about you guys, but just on an artistic note, um, I really enjoyed the music in this minute, in the last minute. It's almost like delicately balanced and sort of poised to reflect Yogananda's like, um, I don't know, his demeanor is like strength and force, but then it, with, with uh, the delicate balance as well. So yeah, it was just really quite, quite awe-inspiring for me just listening to this and it really it struck me when I first watched the documentary I thought this was a really really nice bit of the documentary and really we we see you know an increased increased awe of of the guru at this time from the monks don't we um and in minute 69 there as I said there is this continuation so brother Chidananda makes an appearance uh he's got this beautiful backdrop is that in in Sinatis? um Antonitas, I think Antonitas, yeah. sorry Antonitas. um He's, yeah, in beautiful Incinitas, and uh, he's there, uh, uh, and he's telling us about Yogananda building temples, funding um, brotherhood colonies, and, and really encouraging people to, to live together in spiritual communities, which we'll talk about. Um, and all of this is accompanied by a, a flurry of, you know, images and, uh, and videos, which uh, are all pretty, pretty uh, great to see. Um, and we have a, an appearance of Professor Goldberg. He's back in, and he's... Um, he's he's in uh, quite a bit, isn't he? And he's in a few more times in, in the coming minutes. Um, but he does make another appearance, and he's talking about um, in 1945, Yogi, Yogananda was writing the autobiography of a yogi, um, and the USA dropped the fearful atomic bomb at the time. And we see a rather sharp change of tone. Um, the music stops. That beautiful beautiful music, um, and uh, we see a video of the atomic bomb and the devastation of the land and of the people in Japan. So the minute really ends, um, it kind of teeters, we're teetering into the next minute actually here um, for any of the keen uh, eagle-eyed uh, observers. Um, we are looking at Oppenheimer. He does make an appearance. Um, Oppenheimer, he's a, he was a leading physicist at the time. Um, and thought of as the father of the atomic bomb. Um, and he gives this famous quote from the Bhagavad Gita in there, which we'll, we'll uh, look at. 
in a moment or two. So plenty to unpack. So let's jump into it. Um, chaps, what, what were the kind of impressions of this minute? I mean, it is quite a heavy subject of the atomic bomb, but um, what, what, what's the general take on, on this minute, Priyank? What, what do you think? Yeah, two, two big topics really about uh, communal living. And then also some, in some way it's talked about the devastation that can be easily caused by uh, high densely populated communal living i.e. in cities, i.e. civilians can become an easy target because everyone's next to each other, especially for something such as the atomic bomb. Um, and, you know, back in the day, if as the population was sparsely, you know, sparsely uh, residing, that wouldn't have been such a threatening proposition, the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting <laughs> parallel there. Dynamic, yeah, it is. Um, it is indeed, yeah. And the Yogananda talked a lot about this, didn't he? About the atomic age. And we can we can delve into that in more detail. But I did thought I thought it was funny actually. There's a picture immediately um, that we see with Yogananda, you know, as Brother Chidananda is talking, and he's standing there rather stoically um, with a cane. Um, and I, I thought to myself, did he use a cane? Was he known to have used the cane? I don't see any other pictures of him ever <laughs> using a cane, but maybe he picked one up from time to time. Um, do you guys know at all? I was curious to, to find out. There's that. There's that. Isn't there that one paint? There's very. There's that one painting of him with a cane, and there's also that very nice picture of him with some children with a cane. I think. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Maybe he did use a cane from time to time, uh, but regardless, he's looking very stoic in some of these mm. uh, images and pictures, isn't he? Mm. Um, and yeah, we we. I'll just touch on what the pictures uh, that we see um, when Brother Chinananda is talking. Uh, we see him walking, Yogananda walking with a group of people. Uh, who, you know, I wondered who were they, um, but I think this is um, maybe at the mother center and he's doing a sort of slow walk almost with a group of his, mm -hmm. of devotees. Um, and it looks, uh, looks pretty awesome, but he's in the center and everybody's walking around him looking very finely dressed uh, as was the, the uh, way to do it at the time and it's in color this is a color video which obviously wouldn't have been color back in those days so this would be a digitally mm. enhanced video <laughs> which yeah. you can kind of see by the very bright colors of uh, guruji's robe yeah mm. i could imagine guruji just directing everything yeah so he's looking <laughs> at the camera like are you rolling yeah so yeah, let's go <laughs> um so yeah, and we see these pretty amazing pictures of the construction of um, Mother Center in LA, right? So we see multiple pictures there. And, it's it's um, Lake Shrine. Oh, sorry, sorry, apologies, Lake Shrine. Um, yeah, so you yeah. see the- Three three buildings. I think there's construction of Hollywood Temple and Encinitas construction as well, I think, mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, yeah. And some, you see the builders really in full flow. Um, and it's quite an exciting time. Um, Yogananda really in full swing um, with everything that I was doing. Um, but interestingly then, as Priyanki mentioned, um, something to for, for us really to talk about was what Brother uh, Chidananda said, which was um, Yogananda was encouraging people to live together in spiritual communities. Now, this is a topic that I did not think would be controversial. Um, but as I looked into it, 
I found that there was just some discrepancies really with um, uh, the the subject online, uh, where Yogananda had talked about it before. But really, whenever whenever I looked into this, it's a lot of the Anandamoy village um, uh, people that seem to be really running with this concept uh, and taking it to a very good degree. Is that what you guys know about the subject as well? Yeah, so uh, Ananda village, I think you're referring to. Um, yeah. But they, uh, Yogananda, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast as well. And he, he talked about this in one of the East West magazines, if I recall. Um, and he said uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, a few families should get together and, and you know, pull their resources together. And if they did that, they'd have more time for meditation and that you know have less of a need for financial you know stability and wealth and things like that and obviously i'm probably vastly misquoting there so um <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah that's uh, certainly true and i think that was at the time also where, where gandhi was gandhi was creating his uh, communities of you know self um self what's the word just living uh, being self-reliant that's the word um and, you know forming your own little farms and your own little you know labor forces that work together for the common good and there's also uh, i think the largest experiment of this is the oroville ashram in uh, orobindo uh, sorry in um in south india near near pond near pondicherry um which is uh, basically they even try to do away with money yeah <laughs> uh, which is a uh, quite a grand experiment shall we say was is that successful i've heard multiple people well people uh, from all over the world are living there so yeah you can decide whether or not i intend to go there so, yeah yeah i've heard more i have heard more success stories um regarding that than not I live in a eco village in in uh, Brazil when I'm there, so maybe we can start our own shallow chaps. <laughs> go there, do the podcast there, pull our resources. Have a as you, I think Yogananda talked about the threefold. Um, he said church, job. Um, yeah, I can't remember the other thing. <laughs> the way he talked about it was church, job, and something else. Essentially, to have the three things that you need and live simply in. Um, yeah, uh, it, it is an interesting concept. Uh, a friend of mine was very, very keen on doing this himself unrelated to the SRF years ago in South Africa. Um, and I know there's uh, there are many popping up um, around the world. My uh, father-in-law went to one in Brazil near Sao Paulo uh, fairly recently, um, and it's fully self-sustaining. Um, so people are doing it around the world and they're you know, teaching yoga in many of these places because I think it goes hand in hand, doesn't it? Um, Mike. Yeah, I think the the idea itself to just start your own community. I don't, I don't think there's anything anyone would say it's anything against this or. But I don't think Yogananda really. What what his idea was is that a group of devotees come together, right, and like um, like search God, look for God together. Like the idea. Of being self-sustaining is great and stuff, but I don't think he he um he did he did say that being self-sustaining is good, but that's not I I feel like that's not really what the community living thing was was about at the end of the day. He he did have he did say that in 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 many different parts, like if you read the 
man's eternal quest or divine romance. He, he mentions those kind of things every now and then, you know, how, um, like there's one section where he says, for example, if you live in the big city, there's so many distractions and it's so, so much harder. He, he once says that people who live in New York City, they, they live life like little cops, right? It, it is harder to, yeah. to like um, live the life, um, make the life about God than when you're like living in a smaller place. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like I, when I, when I grew up, my, my parents had talked about this every now and then because there was this controversy already back then that I think in the first autobiography, there was, there was a mention of a brotherhood of man. And then later on, it wasn't there anymore. So there was, there was always, um, a kind of, uh, a stance that SRF is not, uh, like it's not hundred percent supporting it or and why that is and i think many um i think srf was asked that many times and they answered it many times but i think mm -hmm. that's just not their their big focus the mm -hmm. establishing people in communities mm -hmm. there was a quote that i found by yogananda and he said i got so involved in thinking about world brotherhood colonies last night that my mind got away from me but i chanted a little and it came back and that was during a public lecture and it, it was curious that statement to me um and maybe something i don't know popped into my mind uh from where uh, i don't know that maybe told me that it's a little early in the part of yoga for this to be like widespread or you know really quite common um and i always go back to the to the yoga's uh system so maybe it's more of a um utopian idea for for the world, but we're maybe needing a little bit more development, spiritual development for the masses, you know, for us all to get there, for the world economic structure and things like this to allow for certain things to happen that way. Um, so maybe he was envisaged, envisaging what things might be completely speculative, speculative of me, of course, but um, I can kind of see like he could see into the future to some degree. Um, and see what is actually possible, maybe the steps. And maybe that's why the SRF just want to focus on his simplicity, the simplicity of his teachings rather than the more complex nature of trying to organize people um, to live together, which is a whole other story, I think. Um, Priyank. Yeah, the, the ideal of the householder yogi is the, is the one of the most important messages, isn't it, of Guruji's, Guruji's teachings where you don't need to run away to the forest or into a community what's geared solely for spiritual development and upliftment but of course we know that Guruji did directly have a hand in establishing the ashrams which were for monastics um, and obviously those are spiritual communities um, in, in, in LA and in um, Encinitas and, and, and also in um, India as well um, so we know that uh, he did do that but that's obviously not not for people that uh, also want to uh, not be a monastic and also live in that life this is solely for the monastic order mm -hmm. yeah yeah these may form slowly as ripples might, might uh, form in, in the water now just wider and wider spreads one day because it is it's super rewarding for me living in an eco village myself like myself and my wife you know it's the two of us and 
um, you know, living on a land is is amazing. Um, very, very rewarding to be with nature um, that closely. So I guess that's uh, also part of it. So that you're not disassociated with, you know, where your food comes from, like living in the big cities, um, that you really have part, part and parcel there. But yeah, um, it, it is an interesting subject uh, and one that sure, if any listeners have uh, anything that they can add to that, please, please do let us know. Would you guys live in a spiritual community if one was to present itself to you? Would you uproot yourself from London, Priyank or Mike? F. You go, Mike. Mike, jump in. I, I would. Um, I'm not sure. Like the, the thing is always you want everything, right? You want your career, you want your spiritual life, you want to have the right people around you. So I, I'm not saying I would unconditionally just drop everything and move into an into a little community, but I that's kind of one of my goals to steer myself into a more uh, into a place that is a bit smaller and a bit more focused on God. That would be great. I think the wider Wi-Fi needs to be accessible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I certainly would move to a spiritual community now i intend to fully check out that boroughville place when i go to yeah. when i go past that area and seriously consider it yeah nice <clears throat> well <clears throat> keep us in the loop <laughs> my, my, uh, my voice is cracking um keep us in the loop with that Priyank. let us know if you, you are a cracking voice oh thank you very much <laughs> um so professor Gilbert um he's here he's making another appearance phil um, phil goldberg i don't know if he's a professor oh sorry prof sorry um if you, Oppenheimer might be a professor i don't know <laughs> yeah phil um i'm talking for phil goldberg um, you know, a couple of a few episodes ago when we were talking about encinitas you were yeah. pronouncing it and sign something it's and it's me, it's mike it's and i just let you pronounce it that way the whole episode i'm sure everyone was just laughing there oh uh, god that's <laughs> probably my dyslexia <laughs> kicking in yeah. <laughs> thanks for that uh, that's one of the one of the things in in california that usually people try to pronounce the, the place names in kind of spanish ish not yeah. super, not perfectly Spanish, but the, usually the vowels go in the Spanish way. So yeah, wouldn't that be then en, yeah. Wouldn't that be then enchilitas? No, that would be Italian. Okay. And Italian would be enchilitas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so enchilitas, yeah. My, I'm, I'm paranoid by. Are you saying it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So we've we've got Goldberg, Phil Goldberg here. He's making another appearance, and he's. Uh, saying that in 1945, uh, when Paramahansa Yogananda was writing the autobiography of Yogi, um, we, uh, the USA dropped the atomic bomb. I don't know about you guys, but every time I see a video of the atomic bomb, it's like I'm seeing it for the first time. It just really grabs my attention. And it's so unbelievable, like the vastness of the destruction that it's capable of. There's a, there's a fam famous video of, um, an atomic bomb under the ocean and the United States where they had some naval boats spread around the water and they were testing to see they did I, don't, I think they think they thought it wasn't going to cause the destruction that it did but it wiped out basically everything there um, and 
every time I see this video, uh, I, th I think to myself that it was, it was, it was toys in a bathtub and they somehow like, it was all a model. It's just so vast. So it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the, the vastness of the destruction that these bombs can cause. I don't know if you guys have that impression, but um, just watching this again, I kind of, I look at it in disbelief. Mike, do you have a similar impression? I think you're 100% right. I think our minds, they either they don't want to understand it or it's really hard to wrap our minds around it. When you watch it, it often it looks like a special effect from a movie or something like that rather than something that actually happened. And then if you then look at the pictures on the ground, the destruction, how people suffered afterwards, it is just really hard to comprehend and the more you read and look into it, the more depressing it becomes. So it's a very heavy, very heavy subject. And maybe our minds, they naturally try to not get into that too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might be might be right to avoid to avoid the trauma of of the experience. But Yogananda, well, you know, somebody who was um, you know, clearly very aware of what was going on. Um, I wonder, do you guys draw any comparisons with what was accelerating? in the West at the time and the wars that were going on and Yogananda and trying to get his mission on. I think he maybe mentioned it once or twice that um, that it was the West in particular was in dire need of spiritual uh, balancing because the technology was really ramping up, wasn't it, Mike? That's definitely the conclusion that the movie comes to. I feel like that's why they put it in the sequence. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you must take, imagine you're Yogananda and you, you already feel there's something wrong with the world. You feel God is needed. There's not enough um, worship. There's not, there's not enough thinking. The thought of God is, is vanishing slowly from the earth. And when this happens, the earth, he says that somewhere in man's eternal quest, that if, if, the, if there wouldn't be enough good vibrations on the earth, it would instantly vanish, right? So he's basically come on a mission to save the world. And seeing that nuclear explosions in Japan happen in his, in his lifetime, that must have been a feeling for him. Maybe we have come this far, but hopefully it will be the worst of it. And we, we will, this is like the, the, the peak moment. And then hopefully from there on, it will become better. Mm -hmm. Priyank? Yeah, Guruji said, um, he used to say, like, you know, all those millions or billions that we spend on on war and armaments, if we just imagine how much good we could do with that money if it was spent on, you know, building up communities and alleviating poverty and all that stuff. So, yeah, and, and obviously, especially during his you know his the time of his life was when when he was in prominence in the in the public eye you know between 1930 to 19 late 1940s um the war time was obviously rife and both the impact of the end of the first world war and then all the second world war incident so he was very well placed to talk about that and he did um he did didn't he um but obviously the the mass uh, mass karma is, was going in one direction which was that uh, second world war mm. there was a quote from the autobiography of a yogi that i saw on this 
note, I'll, I'll read it, I'll, I'll consider in your touching on the subject. Um, uh, Yogananda said, uh, only the warmth of brotherhood can melt the present colossal snowball of war karma that may otherwise grow into World War III. This unholy trinity will banish forever the possibility of World War IV by a finality of atomic bombs. Use of the jungle logic instead of human reason in settling disputes will restore the earth to the jungle. If brothers not in life, then brothers in violent death. So he was not mincing his words and how eloquent and poetic is that um, statement from him. Uh, and so relevant, you know, today, you know, we're, we're talking about um, similar topics uh, uh, in, in the media quite often. Um, so no more is it needed than, than today, but maybe some reassurance just to go back to this, because I really just to agree to what Mike was saying there. Um, think that uh, as I believe we had a question several minutes prior to this one, um, somebody had explained that uh, they were shocked when the SRF monk, um, whose name I cannot remember, said that, oh, don't worry, you know, we're going into a better time, uh, as Mike maybe sort of uh, alluded to there. Um, you don't need to worry about all the world affairs um, that this person was concerned about. Uh, who was the monk in question? Does anybody remember? Brother Anandamoy. Brother Anandamoy. Yeah. Don't watch the news. I think he said. Yeah. And then other late recently, other monks have done similar things. Said yeah. similar things. Maybe for any of our listeners or viewers that don't know about this, Mike, would you be kind enough to read out the the reassuring um, sort of uh, message on the atomic bomb card from the autobiography of a yogi? The Western day is indeed nearing when the inner science of sorry is that the one like the um uh last one down second one down the last one second one down my guru determined by various calculations that the last Kali Yuga or Iron Age of the descending arc started about AD 500 the Iron Age 1200 years in duration is a span of materialism. It ended about AD 1700. That year ushered in Dwapara Yuga, a 2400-year period of electrical and atomic energy developments, the age of telegraph, radio, airplanes, and other space annihilators. I know I, I love this subject. This is my favorite subject. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Any keen listeners who probably know that very much to be true. Any opportunity to bring it up, he brings it in. I think exactly. this, probably, this section of the autobiography, Chris has probably quoted more than any other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am like uh, the Holy Science book, um, Sri Fishwar was definitely a book that blew my mind when I first read it. And this is really what um, Yogananda is talking about here. Yeah. Uh, and I think, it's I think it's relevant. I hope it's relevant to the listeners because. Um, if you think about some of the atrocities that happened a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, where um, man was no more but mere flesh, you know, and, and the um, uh, was, uh, yeah, death was quite commonplace um, uh, and, and, and killing was quite commonplace. You know, we live in a much better time now. Um, and I just wondered if that was reassuring to listeners on this subject of, you know, death and destruction of atomic bombs and so on. Can be quite depressing, but actually, uh, when we lift our gaze up and see the bigger picture, 
um, we're going through an age of, as Yogananda said, the electrical, electrical and atomic energy developments that are happening now, um, is in relation to our age, the Dwarbarian Yuga, 2400 year period. So we're on the trajectory of um, purifying the, the ignorance and coming to conscious, better consciousness now. So not a giving, not a guarantee that we're just not going to have any, you know, problems with atomic bombs, of course, not to be naive. Um, but is this not reassuring? Could you not take reassurance from this? I do. Mike? Uh, just need to do a quick flex that I have traveled to Japan and um, I went to Hiroshima. And I just want to say about reassuring, uh, like Hiroshima is like this, like we see in one of one of the pictures, we see a building with a with a dome that was destroyed, and when they rebuilt Hiroshima after the world after World War II, they let this building stand there. It was actually the the Chamber of Commerce, and they let it stand as a monument to the nuclear destruction, and they turned the whole blast radius of the nuclear bomb into a into a really big park in the center of the city. And it's very beautiful, peaceful when you walk through there now. Mm -hmm. um, there's obviously a monument to to the people who died. There's a mon there's all kinds of monuments there, but it feels like that out of this total tragedy, human tragedy, and all like not just the people who died immediately, the people who then later became ill and and died from from. Uh, consecutively um but out of out of that kind of the, the this kind of sobered people's minds all the suffering and turned it into something beautiful and i feel like that's what often happens when terrible things happen when people get out of this kind of ego consciousness and go like okay we need to correct and and um, and uh, make this Make turn it into something good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Priyank. Yeah, um, and this kind of that feeling that you just described, Mike, and also what they what they did with that location of the blast is reflected in the minute with the minutes that they use. Because there's a lot of scenes where there's like prayer gatherings happening, and there's an old lady walking very very carefully towards towards um, like you know the burnt up community and and the sign interestingly adjacent to that old lady that's walking up is it says something in Japanese um, text which uh, obviously I don't uh, can't I was translate but um, but, <laughs> but I used a Google lens and did a translating really? and it said it said please yamuga chi temple uh, which is obviously probably an atrocious translation. I tried to Google it and nothing came up. But if you, if anyone, any listeners know what that Japanese sign is, please do let us know. But I think it's just a general sense of, um, you know, mourning and prayerfulness and that kind of stuff. Mm. Good uh, investigator skills. Google Lens <laughs> is what you're using. Yeah. So any every any font you see, just put it, put the Google Lens app on it, and it'll translate it there and then in in front of your astounded own. eyes this is the one part of you guys that's so cool and also any if you have a leaf just take any leaf and put the mm -hmm. lens on it 
it'll tell you what species it is. Nice. Oh, very good. Uh, I, I will use that because um, I can use that in the eco village. Yeah, I have no idea what I'm looking, looking at. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brazil plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some native plant. Yeah, the botanists uh, among us would be not happy. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what I was when I was searching through um, you know, some material looking into this subject, Yogananda really talked about this quite quite a lot, the atomic age. Um, and he talked about the life trons and things that underline that as well, which uh, which I thought was always pretty special to hear because um, uh, Yogananda is clearly looking into uh, his perceptive lens uh, using Google Lens, maybe his spiritual lens to to reveal what's behind the atom uh, that science today may not uh, may not know. Um, he called it life trons, didn't he? Uh, which is pretty epic. But he did he did say something really you know mind blowing to me. Um, one of the many things about the autobiography that I loved um, was that he talked about um, Atlantis in 9000 9500 BC that was meant to have vanished. And he um, said that you know although people talk about cataclysms and um, uh, yeah destructions that way, uh, he said it was destroyed as a result of their misuse of atomic power which really, I was glad I was sitting down for that one, um, which is, you know, shocking, uh, deeply saddening and, you know, uh, all the rest of it. But um, isn't it great that he's sharing stuff like this with us, that we can take the wisdom from that? And, you know, we're, hopefully we're, we're doing that a little bit in this podcast that um, everybody uh, obviously would uh, go against any use of violence, um, but um, certainly Yogananda is sharing a lot of this information with us to try to warn us to not repeat history, is it not? Um, but yeah, uh, cer certainly interesting there. Um, and maybe Priyank, would you want to read out the, the mind-blown um, uh, atomic bomb uh, yes. card, just the first bit of that? Yes. The Western day is indeed nearing when the inner science of self-control will be found as necessary as the outer conquest of nature. This new atomic age will see men's minds absorbed and broadened by the now scientifically indisputable truth that matter is in reality a concentrate of energy. The finer forces of the human mind can and must liberate energies greater than those within stones and metals, lest the material atomic giant newly unleashed turn on the world in mindless destruction so he's speaking again very uh, stoically very poetically as uh, on such a subject that is clearly very very heavy but then we have to switch over to Oppenheimer um who Oppenheimer yeah Oppenheimer who was uh, you know the leading physicist at the time uh, was speaking in similar uh, strains, wasn't he? He was speaking in similar tones where he quoted um, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, of course, and he said, um, the quote, really full quote is, few people cried, uh, most of them were silent. I remembered the line in, from the Hindu scripture of the Bhagavad Gita, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. And the video is quite kind of haunting isn't it really um when you're watching this and when when you hear it you can hear the emotion 
um, in his voice. You know, he's clearly very moved at what's what's happened. And again, he was known as the father of the atomic bomb. Um, but we have a few bits on him, but um, certainly he was aware as uh, maybe keen philosopher as well that um, he had done something that the Bhagavad Gita talked about, uh, which was was interesting. And I think a really famous quote that actually, so many people know that quote. So it's really significant, isn't it? Um, Priyank, do you want to jump in? Yeah, so many people know that quote because of him, I believe, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> because of the, uh, the supposed justification for the... Um, yeah, for that bomb and for everything that came after it. But yeah, I share your reflections on that video. It's a very, well, very powerful and very moving video because he's kind of looking down almost with regret. Um, but certainly he's justifying his own uh, events that led up to that moment in his life where obviously he... Um, <laughs> He, he was directly, pretty much directly responsible for its development, um, both in terms of the research and in terms of um, giving giving over. Because often, you know, some, sometimes when a scientist discovers something and he realizes the power that it, could, it has or what could happen if it goes into the wrong hands, they may suppress it. But he's obviously decided not to do that. And he gave it over, as was his duty or job you might say um but he was apparently he used this line in the in the gita uh, from the gita but he was apparently very he loved the gita um and he he learned sanskrit so this line from the gita is actually his own translation and it is a very uh, it's 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 an interesting translation shall we say of the line and he, I mean, he was fascinated by the language and the Bhagavad Gita in general, and probably all, you know, Hindu philosophy. Uh, he described it, the book says, the awake book says he described it as the most beautiful philosophical soul existing in, in, in any song, sorry, the most beautiful philosophical song existing in any language. That's why he described the Bhagavad Gita as. Um, but, you know, uh, in terms of the translation of that, um, it's his his translation, and I've, I've I've looked this up because you know you can think you guys know I'm a big fan of the Bhagavad Gita, and his I compared it to Guruji's translation of the same section. So to remind you, his his famous line is, um, "Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds." Um, Guruji's, and so this is to give you some context. This is this is in the in the battlefield where um, where uh, what's this? Arjuna asks Krishna to show him the, the universal, the cosmic, his cosmic form, and Krishna gives him that vision, um, you know, that perception, and and then during that image or that vision, uh, Krishna speaks and he says, "In guise of endless doom, I come as a voracious time to seize." and room in burning more of mine the weakling's awe and all the mortal meat of weary worlds of deathly change and treat them with my nectar life to new and fearless better strife 
even if thou dost forbear to slay thy wicked foes, still they and warriors all in brave array will sure and certain timely have to fall, ah, in my righteous teeth of law with all. So <laughs> this translation is very different to uh, Oppenheimer's translation. I mean, so I become, so I am become death is not even in there. Um, he, he talks about the endless doom. I, you know, in the guise of endless doom, I come as a voracious time to seize and room in burning more of mine, the weaklings all. So Arjuna, to, to repeat myself, Arjuna didn't want to fight. And Krishna is telling him basically, you know, this, this whole creation of life and death is, you know, within, within my, you know, this, this is my design. And, and, and in, the, in the, like, the explanation of this, um, Yuguruji says in, in the Gita, for God talks to Arjuna, the vision was at once both wondrously, wondrously sublime and fearfully dreadful. Creation, preservation, and dissolution continuously and successfully rolling in the omnipresent blessed light of spirit. The benign, attractive forms within the cosmic idol represent the creative and preservative forces of nature. The gruesome aspects, the devouring of worlds and beings, are expressions of the dissolving power in creation, whereby all dualities, ugly in contrast to the singular infant purity, are consumed and spumed forth again and again to be transformed ultimately into the divine essence of their origin. So it's a completely different translation. Now, we know Oppenheimer was a scientist. So, you know, when you take words literally, um, especially from the Gita, then you can get these very doom and gloom translations and the quote that he just gave. And then you can misuse that quote to kind of uh, put, you know, put down your conscience, uh, you know, your... Um, if you're feeling guilt, then you can use it as that for, for to consoling, consoling yourself. But um, as we know from God Talks to Arjuna, especially in the, the beginning, beginning sections, every single word is um, that, you know, that is used in the poem is both literal and metaphorical. So even, even down to the names of the characters in the, you know, in the, in the, in the war, um, so everything is metaphorical. And it's interesting that um, uh, Murnini Mata said that apparently he had this, this time where um, he, was, he was talking to, he was called like the great, the great Samadhi that he had. Um, uh, do you want to open that card, Chris, and perhaps read, read that, that Murnini Mata bit at the bottom? Uh, yeah, this, sorry, this is the Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, yeah. Can do. He talked to Divine Mother, just an unending flow of conversation all night long. But he said to us afterward, and we saw during that Samadhi, that Divine Mother did something unique for those of us who were present. She used his voice to respond. So we were he hearing the two-way conversation. When Master would speak, it was his voice. When Divine Mother spoke, it was a different tone of voice. So this went on all night until about nine or 10 o'clock the next morning. I've often 
likened it to chapter 11 of the Bhagavad Gita. The verses that deal with what Guruji called the vision of visions, in which Arjuna received through the blessing of Krishna, a vision of the universal form, the many-sided aspects of God, which included not only his transcendental absolute nature, but also how that one consciousness evolved into all of the forces that brought forth creation and that brought forth the individual human beings. In other words, the ultimate truth is that every single thing is nothing but the consciousness of God. After the vision, Arjuna said, oh, he threw himself at Krishna's feet and said, forgive me that I ever thought of you as comrade or friend. Yeah, so Guruji had a similar vision, which he likened to that experience that Arjuna had. And in this apparently, you know, this whole night's conversation that he had with Divine Mother, after this, he, he kind of changed and became very serious. And he, he said, you know, Divine Mother has spared me and she's let me stay here for, you know, however, however much longer I have and I need to dedicate my efforts. And then he focused heavily on his writings, as we discussed in the previous uh, minute. Um, mm. So it's quite uh, quite interesting, <laughs> but some of the translations of this this um, this part, uh, chapter eleven, verse thirty two, um, bear absolutely no resemblance to Oppenheimer's translation or Guruji's translation, which is yeah. um, which just goes to show reading reading the correct translation or reading <laughs> the appropriate translation is uh, quite important. That's, uh, that's just art for you, isn't it? <laughs> everybody takes their own interpretation of art yeah uh, uh, yeah that's amazing there there is a little bit more in there um uh mike i know you mentioned about uh oppenheimer sort of regretting the development of the hydrogen bomb um is there any, anything more you want to add on oppenheimer there mike he, he was um afterwards he became a person who was um opposing uh, the use of nuclear weapons and the and the further research into the field, which that was the beginning of the Cold War time, which was seen as anti-patriotic, and um, eventually it got his um, his military clearance removed. But then a decade later, um, Kennedy or Lyndon Johnson, one of the two, um, uh, they gave him an award and they kind of rehabilitated him in the political um, day to day. Yeah, I don't know what it would do to my con uh, consciousness to know that I may have offered in some, you know, um, something like the atomic bomb. I mean, what, what do you guys think just quickly on this subject, um, just to kind of ponder on it a little bit, like Guruji talked about the karma of like World War One rolling into World War Two and so on and so forth. And, if we allowed it to, you know, roll into World War Three, then it would be the last one. But it kind of ended on one of the most devastating kind of tones, didn't it? World War Two with this, these atomic bombs that were dropped, and you know, men, innocent men, women, and children kind of wiped out. I mean, that surely that would have been a devastating uh, addition to the karma of the war. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, but it also. It, it also erased a lot of karma, I think. Mm. And um, like Guruji talks a lot about what happened after World War II. Like he said, a, a lot of the world wars, they had to come 
because there was this bad karma of colonization. And after World War I and World War II, the world got pretty much decolonized to a great extent. And, but he still said there is more karma left and there, the snowball is still rolling. And he said it would take 100,000 Korea bonds, sincere Korea bonds to melt this karma from culminating before it culminates into another war. Oh, wow. 100,000, yeah. Uh, Priyank? Yeah, and the, being obviously, we, we, we see this Oppenheimer that's um, regretful in a way in this, in this minute. Um, but by the same token, uh, the atomic bomb was meant and its deployment was meant to end the war. Mm -hmm. So if they had not deployed it, then we heaven only knows how long and how much more destruction the world war two would have caused and what other ramifications there there would have been because obviously that that meant japan knew that they were defeated and that had knock-on consequences all around the world yeah. mike yeah and america wasn't the only country that worked on the nuclear bomb right there was like a race and america happened to want to win it but that that was also something you can say in his defense that they would have come up with it anyways just maybe a different country first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of kinned onto that stone cold kind of calculation in the end of how many Americans soldiers might die, and then um, they decided it was too much uh, in the end, wasn't it? It's it's super interesting subject uh, matter, and um, I'm glad we don't live in that era right now. I'm happy to be moved on um, <laughs> uh, into into you know brighter brighter future. Um, so you know, not wanting it to end on on a, on a too much of a grim uh, topic, shall we? Shall we uh, try to end it on a on a lighter one? Um, take I'll take suggestions on that. Yeah, any plans? flags. <laughs> Let's end it with flags. Um, okay, go because for it. this image has uh, the, the images used of um, you know the pictures of Hollywood, Encinitas, Lake Shrine, etc., being built and finished. Um, Encinitas, I think it was Encinitas, had a picture of. Uh, a flag, an Indian flag being hoisted um, yeah. and flown. Um, and then the Hollywood temple inside the temple where you can see Guruji and Rajasri Janakananda has yeah. the American flag next to it, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, the opening of Encinitas having an, an Indian flag. Um, I can't remember if there was like an Indian, special India day that day, I don't know, but uh, it, was, uh, it would have been interesting for local residents to see an Indian flag flying yeah. around <laughs> yeah. yeah mike i think even to this day if i'm not mistaken i haven't been in hollywood temple in a while now but they always had an american and indian flag at the left and the right side of the stage mm -hmm. and i i don't think it's a it's an uncommon thing of srf to see indian flag flying nice well on the international note uh very very pleased to, to end it there and um uh Jaguru to, to all thank you very much for tuning in into minute 70 on the next episode thank you, thank you. Thank you.